Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. Turn with me in your Bibles or your phones to Romans chapter 3. Starting at verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew? What is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Would their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil what good may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm, that we say, their condemnation is just. Let's pray. Father, we just pray as we read your word, as we find again truths, Lord, that should inspire us and empower us and bring us to peace and rest. Lord, I pray that each of us be touched by your spirit and minister to this morning. Guide and direct us as we think through this passage. And I just pray that your blessing be upon us, your glory be done, and your will. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, what is going on here, you're saying? Well, remember, he's been talking about those that have been in sin and how they are, you know, without excuse. Those with the law are without excuse. Those who have been circumcised are without excuse. So then the Jew, again, just naturally asks these questions. And we're going to look at four questions that Paul is giving us that he must have been given and asked many a times. Because what he would do is when he traveled, the first place he would go into was the synagogue. And there he would hear these questions. Because all of a sudden, it's about grace that you're justified, not by works. So how does this work out? Well, if you notice, the first question that's asked is this. What advantage, then, has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Now, that word advantage means exceedingly, abundantly, supremely, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon. That which is abounding or overflowing to them or upon them. What's the advantage, then? The answer, look at verse 2. Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. The answer, chiefly, first, in rank, chiefly. So there's more. Chiefly, in first rank, to them were committed or entrusted the oracles. I like this word. It's logios. I probably mispronounced it. But you don't know Greek either. So what do you know? Be quiet, Jed. Meaning the embodiment of, excuse me, that's logos. Eloquent or eloquence of God regarding the communication of his personage. 
his place, his purpose, his plan. Let me repeat that. The eloquence or eloquence of God regarding the communication of his personage, who he is, his place in creation, he created, his purpose in creation, his plan in and through creation. Now, what he is doing, what he will do, as he is will be via his word, from the root word logos, which means the embodiment of an idea, a statement, a thought, an answer. They have been given the answer, the oracles of God. What's the advantage of the Jew? Everything. They've been handed the plan. Here's the plan. So, three things we look at that the Jew had the advantage of. The first we see is that they were the chosen by God to have the oracles of God. We find this actually also throughout Scripture, but in Deuteronomy 14.2 it says this, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all peoples who are on the face of the earth. So the first thing we see is that they were chosen. The second thing we see is that they were keepers of God's word. In Deuteronomy 11.1 1, it says, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep His charge, His statutes, His judgments, and His commandments always. The third thing we see is that they were witnesses of God. In Isaiah 43 it says this, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no other God formed, nor shall there ever be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. And Somebody just said amen to that. What he's saying is that I am God and you are my witnesses. There is no other God. All the idols, the other nations worship, you know that they are not real. But I have declared and revealed myself to you that you know I am. I am God. So again, what are they? They were chosen by God to be keepers of the the word, to be witnesses of God and who he is. Now we go to the second question. Look at verse 3. For what if some did not believe? So the Jews are saying, so what if some didn't believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? What if the effect, the word means to render inoperative, to do away with or abolish, to nullify, to neglect, by unwilling to acknowledge? Meaning, if their unbelief then, if they don't believe in you or believe in your word, does that nullify your word then and your promises and your truth? The answer, look at verse 4. Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. So what's the answer? Now we find three things about God. God will be faithful to His promises. Regardless of those that are faithful to Him. God's Word be true and every man a liar. Why is that important? 
Well, it's really important right now because, if you will, this is something that's controversial in the church, and I mean generally speaking. There's a lot of churches don't understand this, or they won't hold to it. What? That God is not a liar, that what he speaks is true. Regardless if people believe in it or not, that God is real. We could all, whole world can get together and say, God, you are not real, but that does not take away the fact that God is real. His testimonies are throughout creation, and his word has proven it. And even more so now because of the things that are happening in prophecy. People either have to accept it or they reject it. They either deny it or they have to embrace it. See, God will be faithful to Israel. How do I know this? Well, God says it. God says, thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to Him whom man despises, to Him whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel. And He has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. See, God has certain promises to Israel. And that's the argument they're saying. If they don't believe, then does that negate all the promises that God gave Israel? Paul's saying certainly not. No, that's not the case. And that is not true. Let God be true and every man a liar. So we understand this about God too, is that He is true to His word. Now, you ready for this? I'm going to list a few scriptures here. Numbers 23:19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, or shall he not do it? Or has he spoken, shall he not make it good? In Ezekiel 24:14 it says this, I, the Lord, have spoken it. It shall come to pass. I will do it. I will not hold back. In Amos 9, 14 and 15, I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land. I will give it to them, says the Lord your God. Period. Isaiah 44, 1-5, Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant in Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord, who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants, on my blessings on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the watercourses. One will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand, the Lord's, the name himself, by the name of Israel. Jacob, Israel, you can't just give that to the church. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. This is Zechariah. This is Old Testament. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. 
later on, Zechariah 14, 16, says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, against Jerusalem, shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacle. That doesn't fit in heaven, gang. It speaks of a kingdom. And it speaks of the Messiah reigning in a kingdom in Jerusalem. As promised to David in Second Samuel chapter 7. Now, concerning the gospel, Paul says, later on we'll look at this in chapter 9. There are enemies for your sake, the Jews. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. What God has declared, God will do it. His word is true. Psalm 33.4 The word of the Lord is right and all his work is done. In truth, Psalm 146.6 Who made heaven and earth to see and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever. And Jesus said, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until it's all fulfilled. It's God's word. It's God's truth. Now we've come to the third question. Look at verse 5. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? Look, if our, the Jewish unrighteousness, is proven the righteousness of God, then why should we be judged? It's just proven the righteousness of God. What's Paul's answer? Look at verse 6. Answer, certainly not. For them, for then, how will God judge the world? See, what Paul's saying here is if you're saying that your unrighteousness brings out the righteousness of God and it's helped the whole world, then why are we being judged for that? Well, if that's the case, what Paul is saying is then how is God going to judge the earth? What's the basis? What's the truth? Meaning that this is an ignorant question. Of course God's going to judge. He's going to judge the living and the dead. All will be judged. All will have to stand before the face of God. So what do we learn about God again? That God is a righteous judge and he shall judge. In 96.13 of Psalms it says this, Before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth, he shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Earlier in Deuteronomy, he said this, For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality or takes a bribe. God will judge. Third question, look at verse 7. Oh, excuse me, this is the fourth question. For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also judged as a sinner? Why is it that if my sin brings out the righteousness of God, then, you know, why am I considered a sinner? If the outcome of my sin brings those to what you think is faith, then what's the problem here? 
Let's bring it down this way. Picture Judas, the Iscariot, standing before God. I got a question here. What I, I don't understand what my, my my sin is here. Because see, if I didn't betray Jesus Christ, then he wouldn't have gone to the cross. And if he didn't go to the cross, then you all wouldn't have been saved. So why am I being judged here? I just played a part in your righteousness. So what's the problem here? You with me? If I sin and it shows the glory of God's grace, then what's the problem? If I sin and I know that I have God's grace and the world can see, oh, look at, look how graceful God is, full of grace, even those sinners, look at, He can do this, He can be this lifestyle or do this and it's all God's grace and love. Well, what's Paul's answer? Look at verse 8. And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, that you're saying that's what we're telling you all. That grace means you can live any way you want. Well, then let's do evil. Evil is good. Again, this is crazy talk. And so what does he say? He said, their condemnation that think this way is just. They're lost in their sin. You might be saying, okay, so what, is we, what do we get out of this? Do, do, you, do you hear the underlining truth of all this? The underlining truth is hear this. When God declares something, it's done. It's not that I have to worry about it or wait. Maybe God isn't true. Maybe God is just kidding about this. Maybe God changes his mind. No. We understand, and the reason why Israel is such a witness to all of us, is that that God that said and declared that is your land, and I have given it to you, back to Abraham, to David, to the whole tribe of Israel, then we can say something. Wow, look at this. What an amazing God we have. That He's actually brought His people back, just as He declared in His Word, to Israel. And we can also look at Scripture, how God has said, I will bless them, that they will multiply and produce, and that they will be protected. And what do we see? We see a nation that is thriving. We see a nation that is growing. But we see a nation, for the most part, hear me, that is godless. I know you think, oh, it's Israel, and they're all worshiping God. They're all Jews. The majority of the Jews don't believe in God. They just believe in sanctity and safety. That's it. They understand something. They're not safe in this world. We need to go back to our own land. We need to go back and protect ourselves. But if you notice, they have a wall of protection around them right now. Now, this isn't about an end time teaching. This is just to declare God's goodness and God's truth. Because if you haven't realized it, you just sang about it. You read about it every day. God says, I love you. Do we accept it? Not based on my feelings, but God, who the eternal one, who's truthful, who never lies, says, I love you. You want proof? I sent my son to die for you. I love you. 
Can you accept that? See, that's what Jesus said. I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me shall never die. And then at the end of that, those two verses, he says, do you believe this? Do you believe it? Do you see who I am? For one who loves one lays down his life for the other. I lay my life down for you. So now we see something. The God that's eternal, that's truthful, that never lies, has declared something. I am laying my life down for you. Now we see the plan and the purpose that he had in creation. All along he knew it was going to happen. He was going to lay down his life for you and me. And then he stands there on the cross and says, do you believe me? And this is important for all of us. Because you want to know something? It's something we need to ask ourselves every single day. I do believe this, that God loves me even though I mess up. Because it's not based on your performance. Why? Because God chose you before the foundation of the world. God has laid out, oh, this is really cool. This is what David said in Psalm 139. If I could flip there really quick. It's a problem with sometimes the Bible just didn't want to cooperate with me. But I think it's important. David declared this in Psalm 139. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, meaning in the womb. And yet your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. God saw your life already. I want you to think about this, because I have to think about this too. God has seen your life from the very beginning of creation to the end of your life, to the end of creation. God already knows your days. God knows as Actually, in that same song, he says, how precious are your thoughts to me. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more than numbers of the sand of the sea. You think about me. He sees you. As Psalm 56, 8. He has numbered your days. He has put them in a book. He knows the name, the labels of your hair. He knows how many hairs on your head. Some fewer than others. I get it. But he knows the hairs on your head. Some a lot more. Man, Sean, that's a good lock there. But again, he knows everything about you. Everything. He knows your thoughts before you think it. This is the God who loves us, and we have to get this into our hearts and minds as we continue in this journey of life that God loves you. You're not going to make Him love you anymore. Can you accept that every day, every morning when you wake up? God loves me. God loves me because He declared it and showed it. He does not lie, and He performed it before me. He died on the cross. I'm loved. I'm loved, so now the issue is with me. The problem is with me, not not God. No one has seen God at any time, John says. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have been seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus, the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and He who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. I'm loved. I wish we could all get this through our hearts and minds 
I am loved. I'm loved. Why is that important? Because see, this is the thing with the Jews. Understand this. It was preconditioned. It was about them obeying and then God blessing them in their obedience. Oh, they were given the word. But see, the word wasn't written in their hearts. So all they had and blessed them because, let's face it, if we didn't have the spirit of the living God inside us, we would be the same. Is that they would naturally go back to their fleshly nature. But see, what God has done is He sealed us with His love. He sealed us with His Spirit. And He says, let that rule in your hearts. Now, does it make it a little clearer to each of us? Let that rule in your heart that God loves you. That God wants to reveal His truth to you in a day-to-day matter. It's not based on your feelings. It's not based on your accomplishments. It's not based on your failure or success. It's based on the truth that God says, I am here and I will never, no, never leave you or forsake you. See, if we can get that into our hearts and minds, then all of a sudden life becomes a little more bearable and understanding. Then no matter what we go through, God's going through it with us. See, if He laid us down His life for us, then He's going to see us through. And that's what Jesus said. And I'm with you always. And that you're in my hands. And you're in my Father's hands. And nobody can snatch you out of them. And you rest in that. See, I've come to give you peace. Peace. The peace that passes all understanding. Peace the world does not understand. Can you rest in that peace? Regardless of what's happening around you. Because I'm here. It's not based on your feelings. I said I'm here. It's not based on your circumstances. He says, I'm here. It's not based on your troubles because he says, I am here. Can you rest in that? Because now, now I can equip you. (laughs) Now I can make you my warrior. Now I can make you into the person that you're meant to be. But you've got to get this down. Because without it, you're going to flounder. Without it, you're still going to think it's about your accomplishments. It's about your success. It's about you being a good boy or a good girl. And the fact of the matter is, God has said, I've chosen you. This is I chose Israel. I've chosen you to bear fruit. What kind of fruit? <laughs> My spirit in you. Because see what the spirit desires to do is make you into the image of me. Be loving, full of joy, peace, be patient, be kind, be good, be holy. Because you're mine. I've chosen you. To bear fruit so that the world may see, look at my child and what I'm doing through them. Because these are fruits that you cannot bear on your own. Because when you're separated from the vine, you're separated from the nourishment and the power that achieves these things. 
right when we stand there and say, oh my, look at me and the fruit that's bearing through me. All of a sudden we've just severed the line because it's not about you. It's about about me. It's about the truth that God desires to be indwelling in us and produce these things through us. But again, remember, it goes back to the truth that God has said, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what's going on, regardless of the circumstances, God is true. Let every man be a liar, even myself. Because God declared it. That's why he says to us, be keepers of my word. Listen to what Jesus says now. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you, because if you keep my commandments, he says in verse 10, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Meaning this, it's like I want to stay in his love, but see what happens when I disobey. If you will, I turn my back on God. It's what happens. I'm not eye to eye with the one who loves me. I've turned away. It's not that his love ceases. I don't see it. I don't know it. I don't walk in it. I don't experience it. That's why he says, if you keep my commandments now out of the love, you'll understand something. I can help you obey if you just submit to me. And then you stay in my love. You abide in me. Chosen to bear fruits. Chosen to be keeper of his word. Because when I keep his word, I understand fully. He's keeping me. Are you with me? Chosen. Keepers of His Word. Bearing fruit. I can't help but go tell others. This God is real. This God is the answer, just as the Jews had. The answers to the problems of life. The problems to the questions that haunt everybody, especially nowadays. Everybody is tormented of who I am, they ask. And that's not the right question. The true question is, whose am I? Whose am I? Why am I here? What's the purpose for me being here? Ah, you mean it's already been declared? My days have already been lived out? He already knows? And you and I have the witness of the answers to the truth of this. God so loved the world. That God desires peace. That God has given mercy and grace. That God's word is true. That God is faithful. What Paul said in Titus, he says this, There it is. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised. In hope of eternal life, God, who cannot lie, promised. Before time began. God declared it. God is faithful. God is true to His Word. He who believes in the Son of God has this witness in Himself. He who does not believe God has made Him a liar because He has not believed the testimony that God has given of His Son. 
And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Period. See, if you will, what we're trying to get to here is the understanding that you and I are cherished by the Creator. That now we've been privileged of giving something. See, we too have understanding of what, who God is. What's He doing? What His plan is? What His purpose is? It's not hidden because, see, whenever mankind is in the darkness, then, oh, they conjure up so many scary and weird things throughout history. Even now, even with the things that they're discovering, all it does is bring them more fear because what they're doing is they're looking into the eye of something that they have no understanding. And I'm talking about creation and also all these uh, so-called alien beings around the fear of mankind because we're realizing something, the trouble, well, actually AI's shown it too. See, the problem is humanity because of sin. That's the problem. And now we have AI that, I don't know if you've, I've actually was sent this by Brian, this, this, this actually doing this drone test and they aborted the, the mission and because they aborted the mission, the AI drone realized that it was the operative that was the one that was in air. So he went and killed him. Because he was not letting him fulfill his mission. And so we read about these things. We hear about China. We see Russia. We see United States imploding. And there's great reason to be fearful except for this purpose that you and I know. What is it? It's all going according to God's plan. You're thinking, wait a minute, the implosion of the world? No. No. That God in His justice and His mercy is revealing to mankind the truths that He has spoken of in His Word. The King is coming. The true King. The King that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And you and I know this truth. You and I understand that chosen doesn't mean that we're privileged in the sense of, I don't care about you, I got mine. No, because of that privilege, I understand that God wants to move in your heart and my heart to tell this dying, sad world that there's hope. But see, all that again, as I finish, this is conclusion, goes on deaf ears if we don't understand this truth. I am loved. God's got my life. Whether I live another 20 years or 5 minutes, God knew it already. So I cannot rest in the world circumstances, but I can rest in knowing that God's got me. God's got me. God loves me. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. God sees my days. And God declares to you and me, you are mine. It's good news, isn't it? That's something to praise God about. 
It's something to rejoice every morning. It's something to put in our hearts and minds in a daily fashion. I didn't tell you the truth. There is one thing I would like to close with. Understand something, though. 1 Peter 1, 17-19 And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of the Lamb without blemish or without spot. What is it? The last argument is this. God's grace is not cheap. It was very costly. More than we will ever understand. All because He so loved. So in understanding that, then I understand grace is not cheap. And if you will, the last thing I will leave you with is another trouble that is in the church and in so many believers, and can even we flirt with it too many times, is we rely on God's grace over everything else. Rather than understanding that it costs a lot. Grace is not cheap. The mentality of God will forgive I can do what I want, is wrong. Because again, it reveals to the hearts, it reveals the heart of the person that they really haven't embraced the love of God. You with me? Make sense? These are tough passages. They really are. And a lot of churches won't touch them. I'm not saying, oh, look at us, we're touching. I'm saying, it's hard. I get it. But in it is the blessings of God. Because it's His Word and He's true. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You for this morning. We thank You for the truth again that we've learned again. Lord, forgive us for not embracing this on a daily basis. Your love for us, Your plan for us, Your mercy towards us, Your grace, Your loving kindness that's new every morning. Lord, we pray that we would be men and women that would embrace the truth of the Word of God that You declared that You love us. We've embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now our prayer is, Lord, help us to walk accordingly. Let us not take Your grace for granted. Help us to walk in a day-to-day fashion, understanding that the enemy is prowling, but You got us. Help us to be keepers of your word. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 